Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. everyone and welcome back to my podcast. So the truth is that I wanted to kind of change a few things up and I've already messed up, but that's okay because I'm imperfect. (laughs) So I'm in this audio production class and I'm not going to lie, the first few times I was in class, I just did not enjoy it. I felt like we were kind of wasting time and I don't know, I really wanted to take the class to learn more about editing and more about interviewing and podcasting and the class is more focused on radio, which is fine. It's just not exactly what I was expecting. Anyway, One of the things that we've been learning is making it personal. And although I try to make it personal and talk to you and talk to the individual, I want to do more so. And so instead of saying, hey, everybody, I'm going to say, hey, friend, or hey, you, or something. And maybe it'll be cringy at first, but hopefully over time, it'll become more natural and make it easier. It'll be more natural and... I don't know, it'll be more personal. And so I'm going to try to start doing that. I'm sure I'm going to make mistakes and mess up, but that is life, is it not? Anyway, the next thing that I wanted to share is that currently I'm sitting in my room recording. And normally I sit in the garage and record and there's a pop screen and or a pop filter and all of these things so that my plosives don't sound as express or as bad. You know, the p k s t Anyway, all of those. k because I don't have the pop filter since I'm just holding the microphone, hopefully those aren't super dramatic and annoying. I just am trying to mess around with things. But anyway, the reason I'm in my room instead of the garage is because several of the TA, well, two of the TAs, there's only two TAs, but both TAs have told me that my sound in my assignments that I turn in sounds a little echoey. And so I'm trying to mess with it to become less echoey. And so now I'm in my room because it will be less echoey in here. Anyway... So that's my whole little story. That's my little introduction. And then for my episode this week, or for today, because trying to get an episode with two people has been kind of tricky. So, doing my best. But I figured I can at least get the episode out with myself. I'm going to share some more stories that I really like, but instead of having them play, like I did last week, I'm going to read them. And all of the stories that I'm going to read today are going to come from this book, and it's called Journey to the Veil by John Pontius. And it's compiled by his wife, Terry Pontius, after he passed away. And basically what he did is he was diagnosed with cancer, and so he decided to start a blog to talk about his journey to the veil, right? So that's where the title comes from. And I think his blog was called Unblog My Soul. Basically, all of these stories in here, every single page is something that came from his blog that his wife compiled into different chapters. They each have a little title, and then they're kind of based in sections and themes within the chapters. I have been reading it a little bit. Well, I've been reading it. I haven't read all of it, but I've read some of it. Probably half of it, maybe. And there are a few select stories that I'd like to share with you. And I'm not going to lie, the stories that I'm going to share with you have either helped me feel the spirit, I've laughed, 
or I just feel like they're really valuable information. And so I've written down the page numbers, and I'm just going to read them. So bear with me if there's little errors or mistakes. Sometimes I try to edit those out, and sometimes it takes too long. So here we go. I guess I'm not going to start quite yet, because I wanted to add one of my favorite things about blog writing or reading books or anything like that is the titles. I also love in journal writing how you can come with come up with fun titles. And I love his blog post titles because they're intriguing and they make you want to read more and kind of find out what the story's about. So now here we go. This one's called Time to Swerve and it's on page 16, 17, and 18. He said, ever since I was a child, the Holy Spirit has been working on me, mostly to get me to learn to hear the voice of revelation and to respond with faith. I would like to tell you three stories lifted from the pages of my past that illustrate a few of the many times our merciful Savior attempted to teach me. The first event occurred when I was in my teens on a Boy Scout camp. We were in the Yunta Mountains and had hiked a long ways up a crumbling shale mountainside. It was hard climbing because for every three steps forward, you slid backward too. When we finally reached the top, we found that it was as flat as a tabletop. I suppose the area was several acres in size, and it was interspersed with rows of willow bushes. It looked like a randomly planted maze with big grassy areas cut into sections by these rows of willows. We began running and playing tag. You couldn't see through the willow rows, but you could run around the end of a row and disappear from sight. We also found that you could jump through the rows and land in the next meadow. The effect was almost magical. One instant you were there, the next you were gone. At some point, I became the person being chased. I ran around a corner and found myself at a dead end. I decided to jump through the willow row, and I ran hard toward it with another scout closing on me. As I approached, I had a bad feeling. Somehow I knew I shouldn't do it. I slowed down and then looked back and saw the scout behind me, just about to catch me. I ran full speed at the hedge and jumped. I felt something very solid hit my chest, and I fell backward back into the meadow. My pursuer was now just a few feet away, so I jumped up and ran at the hedge again. This time, I distinctly felt a hand on my chest, which caught me halfway through the row and pushed me back into the meadow. I fell hard enough to knock the wind out of me. My friend waited for me to catch my breath. I opened my shirt to see if there was a welt on my chest the shape of a hand. There was nothing. Together, we slowly parted the willows, and to our utter amazement, we found a 200-foot vertical drop on the other side of the hedge. Things like this happen many times, I'm sorry to say. I should have been a quicker learner. Some years later, I was tasked by my dad to disc up a cornfield. The field had been harvested, and running the disc through it in the fall made it a lot easier to plant the next spring. I started the big Farmel Model M tractor and filled it with gas, hooked on the disc, and climbed into the seat. The Farmel M was a tricycle design, with two wheels close together in the nose and two big exposed traction wheels. I started across the field in fourth gear, which is the fastest slow gear on the machine. I grew impatient and pushed, pushed in the clutch to shift to fifth gear, which is a road gear and is way too fast for a field. As I did so, I had the distinct impression that I should not use that gear. Of course I did it anyway, it seemed safe enough, the field was only a hundred yards away, and I was on a dirt road worn hard by harvesting. The tractor took off. In front of me was an irrigation ditch, which we had plowed, closed for harvesting. This let us drive trucks and tractors easily across it without spilling the load. As I approached, bouncing up and down on this barely controlled tractor, to my horror I saw that my dad had plowed the ditch back open. I slammed on the brakes as the front pair of tricycle wheels hit the ditch. The rear end bounded into the air and nearly flipped over forward. 
My foot came off of the clutch. The engine was roaring full speed and the wheels dug in, flipping the nose of the tractor up into the air. The steering wheel spun to the left, almost breaking my wrists. The rear wheels dropped into the ditch with the nose in the air. The only reason I did not flip over backward was because the disc was still attached to the back end. When those big wheels dropped into the ditch, I came off the seat and flew onto the traction wheels. The wheels bit into my arm and side, rolled me around in the air, and plopped me back into the driver's seat. If I had fallen forward, I would have been fatally thrown under the big wheels and then the disc. If I had fallen backward, I would have been cut to ribbons by the disc. The big wheels clawed up the opposite side of the bank, and I fell off again, this time to the right, and the big wheels again slapped me back into the seat. I grabbed the steering wheel, slammed my foot on the clutch, and hit the brakes. The tractor turned hard, skidded to a stop, and all the wheels finally dropped. Shaking and sweating profusely, I shut off the tractor and climbed down. My knees buckled and I fell to the ground. As I knelt there, I remembered the strong impression that I should not use fifth gear in the field. Fast forward to the year 2000, nearly 35 years later. It was after midnight in late October, and I was almost late to catch an airplane in Anchorage, Alaska, a full hour's drive away. The roads were snow-packed, with a heavy fall of snow coursing out of the sky. I could just see about two car lengths ahead of me and should have slowed down, but I didn't want to miss my plane. There didn't appear to be any other cars on the road, and it was not particularly slick, just very cold and difficult to see through the dense snow. As I was driving, the spirit distinctly said, change lanes. It was only an impression, no louder than the previous don't use fifth gear, from many years ago. This time, however, I instantly changed lanes, which caused the car to fishtail and slide sideways. As I fought to get the car back under control, a large moose flashed by on my right. He had been standing in my lane and most likely would have killed me. I have since pondered the spiritual training of my youth and have remembered some of the thousands of times the Lord tried to speak to me. Each of them was a chance to avoid pain, to not leave something behind, or even to save my life. Most of the time, the Lord spared me in spite of my disobedience, which warms my soul with gratitude and makes me feel loved and protected. It also seems very parental of Him to instruct, warn, guide, and let me feel a little fear and a little pain. But when I was a child, I acted as a child, and now that I am a spiritual adult, I try to listen very carefully, because the time of lessons is past. Now it is time to swerve, and then find out why later. Isn't that so cute? I love that story. Time to swerve. I just feel like it's so applicable and true when we get promptings. It's time to just follow them and find out why later. And maybe you don't find out why later, but it's just important to go for it, you know? Okay, this next story is from page 49. And according to my notes, it made me cry, made me laugh twice, and I absolutely loved it. So, here we go. Though I don't have that high of expectations reading it to you because... Reading it and then listening to it are just different, and I'm not... Anyway, I'm just reading it, you know? This one's called The Flames of Faith. My mind seems to be stuck in the beginning days of the Wasilla Ward in 1978. There were so many miracles of faith and manifestations of the Spirit. There still are, everywhere around us, but these were my first experiences with such things. And like the first time someone tells you I love you and means it forever, or like that first kiss, they seem to linger in the mind. Because there were so few of us LDS faithful in the beginning, fast and testimony meeting generally consisted of the stalwart half-dozen bearing testimony and long stretches of silence. 
I really hate protracted silence during fast and testimony meeting because it makes it all the harder for someone to get up who is struggling to respond to the prompting. Most of my elders quorum presidency were only recently very active, and part of the bishopric, most of the Relief Society, and many others in the ward were attending church for the first few times in years. The dreaded fast and testimony silence seemed to be inescapable. Besides being the elders quorum president at the time, I was also organist for nearly every meeting, which meant that I sat on the stand a lot, which also meant I was close to the pulpit during fast meeting. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This particular Sunday, I waited until the spirit was warm in my soul and then stood up to bear my testimony after another long silence. I hadn't rehearsed in my mind what to say as I usually did back then, and something unexpected came out of my mouth. I briefly bore my testimony and then said, I am your elders quorum president and I have stewardship over almost every male member of this ward and your families. I am asking Brother Jones, Brother Smith, and Brother Brown to come up and bear their testimonies. When they are done, during the next long silence, I will call on a few more of our quorum members. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I sat down hardly able to believe I had just said that. The bishop, my father, looked at me as if I had just proposed we all take our clothes off. I think I laughed at that part, but I can't remember. Brother <laughs> Brother Jones stood reluctantly and appeared to be deciding whether to come to the podium or run to the door. Brother Jones had never borne his testimony in his life. His face was white and his movements jerky. He walked very slowly to the podium, stood facing me for a few seconds, and then turned to the microphone. He said, I stood intending to walk out of the meeting because I have never been to the pulpit in my life. Something made me walk up here. As I came, I was praying so hard because when I started this long trip up here, I wasn't even sure God lived, let alone that this church is true. Somewhere near the sacrament table, I felt a warm feeling come over me, and I suddenly knew God lives. Somewhere near the organ, I came to know that this church is true, and when I stood at this pulpit, I realized that this had been the most important journey of my life. You other brethren whose names got read, don't be afraid, just listen to my words. I now know that God lives and that God loves me enough to embarrass the dickens out of me so that I will get on with taking care of my duty to teach my family and get us all back to heaven one day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. He turned away as Brother Smith stood and made that very long walk to the pulpit. Brother Smith wept as he said that for years he had wanted to come up and bear his testimony, but had never thought it was big enough or eloquent enough to share, even with his family. He was so grateful that he had been jolted from his apathy and that he was there now. The next brother and the next stood and wept at the pulpit. When they were finished, another brother bolted to his feet and came to the pulpit. I don't want Brother Bontius to stand up and call my name, so here I am. I'm one of those who hasn't ever borne my testimony, and I want to say that for me too, it got way stronger as I walked up to the stand today. When the meeting was over, it had been such a spiritual high that I can't remember a fast meeting since that has equaled that one. Part of the miracle was that these brethren needing, pleading, and begging for a testimony as they walked slowly to the stand. 
But I think there was another principle working that Sabbath morning. It was simply this. I was too innocent to edit my words. I was too inexperienced to fear saying something that would embarrass or offend. It was just what the Lord moved me to say. And when the words came from my lips, almost without permission, they lit the flames of faith. Because when the Lord commands his servants to speak, even his small and immature ones, and they do, then he sends angels to work the miracles that make those words true. It is a lesson I have found to be powerfully true from that day to this. Brother John. (laughs) Isn't that one so cute? I'm not even going to lie. One small little tear went down my face. The Flames of Faith. Okay, the last one for today is called Called to Serve, which is such a great title already. I just love Called to Serve. Anyway, this one is on page 52, and then it continues on to page 53 and 54. He said, I consider it a sublime privilege to have lived this long, to have seen and known so many truths and so many powerful events, and to have felt so many loving hands upon the clay that has become uniquely me. It has been a glorious and painful journey, but it is one, but it is one in which I rejoice. As I have considered and prayed about what to unblog today, that's what he his right unblog my soul, so unblog today, I realize that there is a lush supply of events that were powered by God's hand in my life that have literally resulted in a mortal glass through which I mercifully no longer see darkly, but brightly to an eternal vista illuminated by faith. About 20 years ago, I witnessed an event that dramatically demonstrated what faith really is. It is something that few people of this generation have ever seen. It occurred during an adult session of state conference. The meeting began normally, which meant I was playing the organ, a common theme throughout my life. The first speaker was the first counselor in the stake presidency. He stood and opened an envelope and withdrew multiple pages. He unfolded them and flattened them against the pulpit. I will attempt to capture what happened next in my own words. Brothers and sisters, in the early days of the church, the prophet Joseph and his successors called faithful members from the pulpit to serve missions. The records of the church indicate that the vast majority of those calls were faithfully fulfilled. People left their homes, most often their wives and families, almost always in great financial difficulty, sometimes knowing they likely would not see loved ones again, yet they left to willingly serve the Lord. He drew a measured breath and continued. The present world condition, combined with the accelerated pace of missionary work and the extraordinary need for missionary couples, has moved our prophet to reinstate that system of calling missionaries. I am going to read a list of names of couples and individuals who are being called to foreign missions tonight. If you accept this call, please stand and come up to the podium. You will have one week to sell your homes or whatever you need to do to finance your mission. If for any reason you cannot accept, no explanation will be needed. Just remain in your seats. It will not affect anyone's respect for you. We will all understand. There was a powerful sense of stunned amazement in the room. I have never felt anything like it. It was a little bit of fear, but mostly it was astonishment mingled with anticipation. He read the list very slowly. With each name, someone gasped. Many cried out. Sisters wept openly. A few people shouted for joy. They all stood when their names were called and went to the stand. It was the most tension I have ever felt in a church meeting. When there were ten or so couples on the stand, he explained a few more details of their calls and asked a few of them to bear their testimonies in preparation for leaving on their missions. They came to the podium slowly. Their words were few. 
Their emotions powerful and their message was a stunned willingness to lay everything on the altar for the Lord. A few sisters walked to the pulpit, wept, said nothing, and sat back down. One brother bounded to the pulpit and exulted in the call and then very softly said he and his wife would have to liquidate everything they owned, but that it was a joy to be able to do so. I listened with a growing sense of watching history being made. I marveled at the faith of these good saints. Not a single one of them failed to come to the stand and to accept the call. They were ready. Their heads were high and their faith burning so brightly that it illuminated their faces. They were like twenty angels sitting there glowing with divine power. Had I been blessed with eyes that could see beyond the veil, I probably would have seen pillars of fire over each of them. The stake presidency member stood and folded the pages and put them back in the envelope. It has been a privilege to hear your words and to feel your faith and your willingness to accept his call. He paused a long time, and when he spoke again, his voice was husky with emotion. I only regret that it is not true. None of you are actually being called to foreign missions. We, your stake presidency, just wanted you to experience your own faith and to feel your own commitment to the Lord and to realize that we are not much different in our willingness to sacrifice for our Savior than those who took up this cause before us. Brothers and sisters, you may return to your seats and to your lives as you were before. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As astonishing as his words were, what happened next was even more astonishing. Every man and woman on the stand began to weep openly and deeply. They were so enveloped in this moment that not a single person stood to return to their seats. They just sat there and wept. At first, I thought it was relief that made them so emotional. Then, when they still did not return to their seats, I realized that it was regret. They were sorely reluctant to lay down what had moments before been a joy. They had made a sudden, life-altering decision to serve God at great expense, and now that privilege had been snatched away. They were weeping out of loss. Every person present realized this, and it was so deeply stunning that I and nearly everyone there began to weep. Slowly, a couple stood and returned to the congregation. One sister ran from the chapel, then another and her husband. They didn't leave to go home, they just needed time to recover. All the rest of them walked to their seats with their heads upon their chest, suffering from a sense of loss one generally experiences only at funerals. I don't remember the rest of the meeting. I recall initially feeling that it was unfair that they had been subjected to this experience. But when I grew a little wiser, I realized that those faithful few had done what Abraham had done. They had raised their knives above their own lives, and when the moment came, they plunged the knife with perfect intent to follow through. And then the angel delivered them, and they walked off of the mountain with their lives returned to them. What a privilege those angelic souls enjoyed that night, to have their faith in righteous obedience permanently recorded in the record of heaven. What an exceedingly rare thing to witness. By their example and faith, I learned that night what it means to say, I'll go where you want me to go, Brother John. I'm sure some people... You know, might listen to that and be like, that's so rude of the stake presidency to do that to them. But I read that, and as I read it just barely again, I cried a few different tears, but I also cry everything. <laughs> and I was reminded about how this was an opportunity for them to understand how deep their faith really was. And I think sometimes we think that our faith isn't deep, or we think we don't have a testimony, or we think we don't know. But really, when things 
come down to it and when push comes to shove, we realize that we actually do have a testimony and we do know a lot more than we think we did. And I think that story is so powerful. And I can only imagine what an experience that was for everyone there. I mean, wow. For those who were called, but then not actually, and those who were just there to witness everything. And I'm sure for the congregation it was interesting because they thought, you know, if I was called, would I go? Anyway, I just, I like those stories. There are so many more in this book that are just so powerful, and I might come back to it and share a few more later. But I really hope you enjoyed those, because I feel like they can teach us something, you know? So, yeah, that was kind of informal and kind of on the fly, but I hope you enjoyed those stories. I think I'm going to title this part two, (laughs) even though I read them this week. Most importantly, don't forget to embrace imperfection. Find meaning, satisfaction, and joy from the journey. I'm Kyra, and this is Imperfectly Broken, the podcast. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.